Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. On Books That Burn, we discuss both Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow. These two books interact in interesting ways, and we explore the ways that that is done well, as well as some problems inherent to the author and the work. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And today on Books That Burn, we are discussing two books, Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow. And the reason that we are discussing both of them is because the books broadly overlap in terms of their time, in terms of setting, and then a large part of the book takes place in the same place with the same characters, with them interacting together, even though the books were written by the author more than a decade apart. Um, which gives us the opportunity to look at how an author revisited the same events from a different perspective and the way traumas can intersect so that in a situation, both people might be being hurt, and it's potentially different ways for each of them. Uh, I just want to throw in, too, we are also looking at this particular set of two books that intersect, because, and this is canon by the author as being intentional and not typos. The two characters, even when they have their own, even when they have the same event happening in their respective books uh they have discrepancies in the narrative and mm -hmm. this is intentional because the uh, the author had said at one point that this is intentional because humans don't remember <laughs> things the same and they don't remember the same pieces from the same things we experience and so ender and bean experienced the same things differently Interestingly, creates this tension where, when combined with the repeated assertions that Bean's memory is perfect, what we're actually being told well, is no Ender was wrong about what exactly was said. Bean says that Bean's memory is perfect. This is true. We do only have Bean's word for it. Yeah, I, I would... Bean has a photographic memory. Oh, yeah, anything he reads. Yeah, and canonically remembers very, very early... But that doesn't mean Bean's memory is perfect. It just means that he has a lot of memories. Right. And human brains don't have perfect memory and the way our memories encode and work in our heads. 
It actually, to me personally, I think it's more interesting if we just assume Bean is wrong about his memory and that he just has a very good memory and a photographic memory for text and isn't correct that he's always right. <laughs> yeah, there are, there is actually a, um, a thing where people can have the kind of perfect memory that Bean is describing about like their own experiences and lives. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. But it it just makes I think it makes right. these books better if he actually doesn't have that. And it's just very close to it. Plus, also, like he kind of even notates in Ender Shadow. Or actually, I don't think it's I don't think it's Ender Shadow specifically, but it's in his quartet arc. Yeah. Uh, that even if he remembers something accurately, that doesn't mean he's right about what happened. And so I, I just like, I really like the headcanon that even if Bean is technically correct, that doesn't mean he's right about his interpretations. And so there's, there's a lot of flex room there for them both to be right and yet not at the same time. So I, I don't know. I personally really like that. We also want to state up front before we get started here, and we're going to say this at the beginning of the wrap up as well. Uh, we are not endorsing these books as something people should go read. The author is, uh, especially in a lot of his other works, but including in these, the author has a lot of issues. He has some pretty severe homophobia. He has some more anti-Semitic things that happen in his books where even if it's not his viewpoint in real life, the way it's handled in the books is not okay for somebody who is not Jewish to even portray. Like if we weren't, if we weren't trying to do this comparison and we were just talking about Ender's Game, one of the things we probably would have done is talk about anti-Semitism. Like, um, Yeah. Our, our topics are specifically chosen because they are events that both characters were traumatized by in the same space. But we are also, we also have content warnings in our, our show notes, just in case anybody skipped over those for anti-Semitism and... And homophobia. I feel like there's more homophobia in general. And ab ableism. Yeah, ableism too. Yeah. Uh, but so those are not the topics that we are covering, but we also wanted to be very clear up front that the reason for this discussion today is not because we want other people to newly read these books. It's because these books are just a very, at least in our reading experience, a kind of unique example of differing viewpoints on the same topic that is not because the author didn't check their notes. And mm -hmm. it's, we want to take this opportunity to talk about how, as Robin said, how differing traumas can intersect and impact each other. Uh, and also how the same author decided to approach the same trauma differently yes. later. Yes. When our whole thing is about how authors approach and portray trauma. Yes. Um, um, some quick things not that are like really cool, not directly related to the specific traumas we're discussing. Uh, this book, uh, well, Ender's Shadow seems to have a choice to tone down the homophobia that was on way too many pages of Ender's Game. <laughs> it's not gone, but we're no longer using a homophobic slur mm -hmm. constantly. Um, and there's a little bit of a mention of, oh, um, mature people don't use that because that's a slur, didn't you know? Um, <laughs> and then and then proceeds to use it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some kind of hints at author growth 
There's some kind of hints at author growth a little bit in the 15 years, 14 years between these two are published. Yeah, but it is it is also something where we kind of, we've said this about other books before, but we kind of do a little bit, especially with the ableism, kind of take into account that these books, the first one was written in the 80s. And there's a lot of, especially just vocabulary for people that, I mean, even 10 years ago was not as, it wasn't thing that people were not, yeah, yeah, it's not that it wasn't harmful, but but especially I think the more people are all in generally on the internet and intersect with other people and have perspectives from people that aren't their own insular, perfectly fine with this word communities. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wording in these books that, you know, back in the eighties didn't mean it was less harmful, but was there's, there's a lot of books written then and written before where, you know, the impact of words in, in general were not as discussed uh, just in all parts of society um, outside of the communities that are affected. So, you know, quick note that um, uh, uh, some of our, our content warning here is it, we, we want to in kind of include that perspective. Because um, that, is, that is a thing with older books, like a lot of times you'll read them and then a word that we just don't use anymore or we're trying to phase out pops up and... This book has a lot of those. It has so many that I personally will no longer recommend it to anybody. And if you miss this bit of the sci-fi canon, <laughs> listen to our episode and then, you know, move on and with move your life. move on with your life. Um, but also, yeah. we used to so, love these books. I at least used to and don't anymore. Oh, I don't know if Nicole still does. I still love these books, but I will not read any other series by this author. And I will never buy these books firsthand to give the author more money. Yep. I'm just not getting rid of the copies that I have. Uh, yeah. So with all that, uh, we have our factions. People who are in actively in both books. We have Ender, Bean, Petra, Crazy Tom, who I'm just going to call Tom from here on out because yikes. Uh, Graf, Speaking Bonzo, of Madrid. <laughs> yeah. Graf, Bonzo, Madrid, Dap, and Hansu who the book then proceeds to call Hot Soup for the rest of the text. We will not do that. We're going to call him Han Su, because that's his name. Uh, Ender's Game brings in Peter and Valentine, who are Ender's siblings. And then in Ender's Shadow, we have Ashiel and Ducheval. Who is also called Shovel, which, again, we will not be doing. Yeah. We'll not be doing that, be partly because he asks to not be called that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> halfway through the book. <laughs> yeah, halfway through the book, he's like, hey, I didn't want this nickname. Yeah. Uh, okay, so our first topic is one where Ender, the main character from Ender's Game, is being a bully and abusing Bean, who is our main character from Ender's Shadow. So, for with each of these, since Ender's Game came out first, we're going to talk about how it's portrayed in Ender's Game, and then talk about Ender's Shadow, and mm -hmm. with some connection between the two. So, in Ender's Game, Ender mm -hmm. feels verbally confronted by B. Um, he tries to tell Bean that he's actually helping him by making him an example in front of the other kids. Bean questions this because even when it's from Ender's perspective, it's still pretty obvious that 
maybe feels bullied by what Ender did in the previous scene. And Ender lifts up Bean, who is shorter than he is. And not that Ender's very big either. And lifts him up and shoves him against the wall. I think canonically, this is a eight-year-old picking on a five, six-year-old, something like that. Five, five, mate. I think Bean is six by the end of the book, but I think he's either he's either four or five at this point. And we do want to kind of note on here, picking up and shoving against a wall, this is feet off the ground, but also they are small children and they are in very close to zero gravity. So Bean is not in, in danger of falling and getting hurt or being dropped and getting hurt in this moment, but this is very much an intimidation play. Yes. Um, so then on Ender's side, it freaks him out afterward because he's worried that he's going to become the bullies in his life that he hates, like Peter and Graf. And- And Bonzo. He, yeah, well, just, oh yeah, and Bonzo. Yes, Bonzo. Um, because they said it's Portuguese, so it's pronounced like an S. Um, Bonzo. Sorry for messing that up, anyone who's from Portugal. Um- uh, and he's he's trying to deal with a new level of authority over people he doesn't know at all, because he has just gotten a whole group to be in charge of after, like, really bonding with a lot of other people. And, and also being bullied and picked on and the lowest rung in every group for other people. Mm-hmm. This is very much a moment where he kind of, the first time his authority is questioned, he does what is what was done to him and has... A, a very PTSD breakdown later over it because that wasn't what he wanted to do, or but he did it anyway. So then, in this the same scene, but from Bean's perspective, because of the events that happened right before this scene, Bean feels that he was singled out and that will make the other kids despise him. Okay, that is what Ender was trying to set up, but now that we yeah, Bean wasn't wrong. Bean wasn't wrong, but now that we have Bean's perspective, we know that Ender was the only one who didn't already know who Bean is, because that's how the book written 15 years later gets to work. Um, Ender's the only one who didn't know who Bean is, and so the thing he was doing wasn't going to work because Bean already uh, was known to the other kids already wasn't really in their in-groups and was kind of looked up to. So just everything Ender was trying to do was kind of doomed to fail. Narratively, it's doomed to fail because it didn't really work when the book was originally written. So then this one gets to say, and here's why it really never would have. Yeah. Kind of. And and I also want to point out here, like, the thing that Ender is trying to do is he's parodying or parroting, I guess, mm-hmm. a tactic that was used on him, which essentially is berate in public, praise in private, mm-hmm. which is how you create a kind of fear-based it's authority. It is. It's trauma bonding and fear-based authority. And Bean canonically knows that that's what is happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he doesn't call it trauma bonding, but... He knows that that is the dynamic that Ender is is emulating here and essentially in his own book kind of calls it out and is like, but that's the opposite of what builds a strong group, a strong team, a strong community. 
praising in public and then correcting in private, it builds a stronger bond because then people care about each other and also get better. And and Bean is just kind of like, why would Ender, this esteemed, great, wonderful child prodigy commander, do this bad thing? <laughs> and Ender, mm-hmm. in his own book, walks away going, oh no, the bullying that I didn't want to become came out the first opportunity it had. This isn't who I want to be. And so there was this very kind of an interesting like disconnect because Bean knows that it's not effective. <laughs> Ender knows uh-huh. that it wasn't what he wanted to do and also that it's wrong. And both of them are like, what? <laughs> why did this happen? Why did, why did this happen? Why did this and happen? Then also this didn't Bean- work for anybody. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, this was bad all around. And I think it's interesting <laughs> that it went back and said these are two different kinds of bad yes. and these can coexist. Yes. There's multiple reason why this scene, this happening between the two of them isn't okay and shouldn't have happened. And like Ender's side kind of explains why it happened. Mm-hmm. But since Bean's book is written second, it doesn't need to explain why it happened. Mm-hmm. But it explaining why beyond it being bullying, it also isn't, it's also pointless and isn't going to work. Yeah. Because I I don't think Ender ever really sees it as ineffective. Ender, he just uh, sees it as not the way he, not the way he wants to get what he wants. Yes. Ender, Ender sees it as the bad way to get the thing that he is trying to achieve. Bean sees it as this is ineffective because it's not real authority. And if anyone ever stops fearing you, then your power goes away. And that doesn't actually help you in the long run. Bean is much more tactical in this moment. And Ender is much more, uh, much more just like, like personally trying not to become the thing he hates and the thing that hurt him. Mm-hmm. And, oh, we should also, we should also uh, point out too here um, that uh, Bean looks at this and and knows canonically in his book that this is an intimidation and fear tactic and that it's, he's never in actual danger. Ender isn't going to physically hurt him. Ender as a person is not going to physically hurt him because he's not actually a threat. And Ender isn't going to hurt and kill out in the open, hurt or kill out in the open his own teammate out where there would be repercussions and problems it would cause problems this is not Uh this isn't they're not like on a a base somewhere in the woods where you know ender could run bean off and hide him in the woods like this isn't something he could do they are on a closed enclosed space station being monitored all the time their locations tracked 24 7 essentially pretty close to Uh like bean isn't in danger but in the moment beans fight or flight uh, kind of kicks in mm-hmm. and he has to kind of analyze that later and go but I wasn't in danger why am I why did my body feel like this and he kind of realizes like oh it's because my endocrine system doesn't know <laughs> that it's a fake out yeah and so he has this trauma also also he has a thing he also has a thing to really be freaked out about because it's you can't say when he was a kid because he is five he is still a small child. When he was three or four, yeah. he was on the streets and in a situation where if you were nothing, you were dead. And he freaks out 
afterwards because it feels like he has to start over getting respect like he's nothing. And it's not respect in a I have to be better than people no, way. No, it's a respect it's in that, humanity. You are worth right, anything kind of way. If the people around me don't care about me and see me as human, they, they won't care if I die and they won't do things to help me not die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they might affirmatively do things to kill me because they care <laughs> you know, less I'm about taking my up humanity. resources that they want. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. For both kids, this is very much a, a, a PTSD trauma moment. But it, it is definitely one where like, it's a, a positive thing, I think, that in the moment both, both of these kids kind of identify like, this is PTSD for us, but they ind- each individually go, this is PTSD for me. They don't say that, but they reflect on their own past traumas and identify the cause. And also, yeah. this is the protagonist of one book bullying the protagonist of the complimentary book mm-hmm. in the moment, aware of it. And we kind of get yeah. that. Also, uh, if anybody who does not want to read these books would like to read the differences in these scenes, just send us a message on Twitter and I will take pictures of my book and send it to you. If you want to analyze can- this out of context, away from the other stuff, open open invitation. I wouldn't be surprised if someone has that online already. It's like a comparison. Because these have been out, both books have been out, able to be read as a set for like 25 20 years, years now. Yeah. Well, 1999 for the second one. So 20 years. Uh, quick note before we get into topic two, uh, just in case you skip topic one, just a reminder or reiteration that we are not endorsing buying this book, but that we want to talk about it because this book has a depiction of the same events from two different lenses without it being a retelling of exactly the same thing. These two characters have different perspectives and they have different things that they notice in the same scenes and they have canonical author intended different memories of the same events Mm -hmm. including dialogue including dialogue which i love so much (laughs) Mm -hmm. so all right yep this we have bonso and uh murder and ptsd (laughs) uh because we are arranging this episode based on scenes that we get from two perspectives. It means that we're going to have some topics overlap because we also talked about PTSD in the last one. I think we're going to talk about PTSD in all of them. Probably. Yeah. Uh, so Bonso had been bullying Ender for most of the book, most of Ender's game up until this point. Uh, and it's a pretty long ramp up in Ender's Shadow as well. Ender's Shadow just starts a little bit earlier, and so it's not as much of the text because Bunso is bullying Ender, not Bean. Um, So after a long stretch of Bunso being angrier and angrier at Ender's existence, Mm -hmm. um, and several places where there almost was a fight, 
Bonzo and several friends corner Ender in the shower. Endo taunts the friends to try and get them to quit because he's, you know, hey, like, you're bigger than me and there's like four or five of you. Is this going to make you feel super strong if all of you just beat me up? And it works in the sense that Bonzo then fights him with the friends just watching. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't want to lose face. Yeah, but it doesn't go very well for Bonzo because one of the things in this book is that whenever uh, Ender is backed into a corner, he, he doesn't just win this fight. He wins the next one and everyone after that by making it so that his enemy is so thoroughly defeated that they will never come after him again. Sometimes that's physical and sometimes it's group dynamic or relational or emotional. Yeah. Just want to point out it's not it's not always combat, but right. He does something to try and mean that there will never be another fight. Sometimes the thing he does to make there never be another fight is he becomes really good friends with the person because that was a possibility. There was a middle ground. But several times in Ender's game, it involves violence and from an author like perspective the author keeps placing ender in situations where the character putting ender in this situation is an adult mm-hmm. and they want him to know that he will not ever get help and this event does that it mm-hmm. makes him feel like his very abusive older brother was right that um from the text, if you can't kill them, you are always subject to those who can and nothing and no one will ever save you. Which is which is really dark to have as a lesson that an eight-year-old is learning. Uh, and, I mean, he was learning this at six, five. Well, for, for this to be the which point at which it is cemented. So that, oh, yeah. Because he had not wanted his brother to be right up until now. He'd been mm. like, no, you know, there's there's another way to do this. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. he actually doesn't know that he has killed someone before. <laughs> yeah. Um which is pretty twisted of the adults around him, both for him to have been in a situation that adults intentionally created or created the vacuum in which uh, yeah. this and, violence and did rushed not, in. And did not step in when they could have to to Keep him safe. To mitigate the situation or separate them or some. So Ender is attacked. Ender defends himself. And Bonzo dies. Ender is pretty sure that he's dead, but he doesn't know for sure. And and officially Bonzo graduated back to his home. That's what they tell the children, the literal children. Yeah, in Ender's game, we I don't Oh no, we do get adult narration saying that he yeah. did die. Yes. Um so then on Bean's side, Bean is less involved with this particular event in terms of the actual thing happening. He's very involved in trying to make this not happen. And then he sees Bonzo's body afterward, and Bean already knows what death looks like. Bean has seen people die, has seen bodies, and he knows at a glance that Bonso is dead. Um, so, bean side, we have kind of the PTSD of, oh no, this is 
I, I wasn't able to help. I messed something up. I froze. I did the wrong thing and somebody died. Yeah. Last time it was the person he cared about. This time, the person who died was the bully, the aggressor. Well, but also this time it was the bully, but he thought it was going to be Ender who he cares about. Right. So the this fact time- that it was somebody else isn't isn't less traumatic for him because he still has the buildup of my friend is going to die Mm -hmm. and then someone does die and he wasn't there to keep his friend safe in any way shape or form so yeah it's (sighs) there's and and also intentionally so bean knows what death looks like and the adults don't tell ender this is the second time ender has killed somebody and the adults don't ever tell him because mm-hmm. they just don't. They would rather him be ignorant and a better killer eventually <laughs> is the thing. <laughs> yeah. Like they want him. It's weird because they never want him to kill on purpose, but they no. need to not tell him that he's kept. That he's killing anyway. Killing they people. need him to not know right. that. Yeah. It's it's very much, and we'll we'll talk about this in our our topic three. But he it, uh-huh. he is being set up to take the full weight of being an accidental murderer, without like he's he's being set up to take that emotional brunt because because this is not his goal, right? And it's not something that he is setting out to do, but it is what is happening. But he is being he's being set up to take that emotional blow later, and it it it. We'll talk about it in our, our our part three, but it's very, very, very debilitating when it happens. Yeah. And weird, because this, we don't have the bathroom scene from both their perspectives, but we have a lot of- Well, no. <laughs> some of the lead up from both yeah. of their perspectives. And Ender gets the event, Bean gets the aftermath. Yeah, which is Neither of them get aftercare of any kind. No, neither of them get aftercare ever. For anything. For anything, ever. Uh, <laughs> this whole entire series. Because a lot of the narration that it, like, explains some stuff that's going on that the kids don't know about is the adults explaining why they're not going to fix anything and are, in fact, going to put the kids in even more danger. Yeah. Uh, that's most of the narration in Ender's Game and a pretty significant chunk of it in Ender's Shadow. Yeah. Yeah, so here, yeah, Bean feels very helpless and like everything he does is wrong. But then also, it turns out Ender didn't need the help anyway. Well, I didn't need mm. that help. He didn't need the help to physically defend himself, not from Bean anyway. Well, like okay. Bean being there wouldn't have made it better. Here's the thing mm-hmm. that's what Bean thinks. This is true. That's why I just said is that I this is what Bean he's thinks. Wrong. <laughs> but but oh, also okay. but also it is important. Like here's here's so this is actually something else with the scene that's kind of important. Uh Bean is set up and told by one of the other children that his way of handling this is incorrect and un and not gonna work. But I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Bean tries to surround Ender with friends who care about him who can bodyguard him and he tries to uh intimidate and talk to the bully that was his strategy 
His strategy was to build people up instead of tearing them down. And mm-hmm. I I don't... I Now, here's the thing. Obviously, because this is not how this happened, we don't know how the author would have played it out if it had gone that route. But Bean is being set up here to feel like it's his fault that Ender was in danger again because he fucked up. But also, like, he's being told that by another child because she has a different plan and it's not his plan and he's the scrappy little kid that she, and she is thinks that she's right. So, yeah. and also Ender is being, as we've kind of said already, he's being set up by the adults who should be there as anything helpful and protective and aren't. He's being set up to face this alone. And so I don't think Bean was wrong. I think Bean is just being emotionally blamed and gaslit a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, and when we're talking thing. about the author setting it up, there isn't anything that counteracts that narrative. No. Even if it's like nothing from the author in these books. Says that Bean is wrong. Says that Bean nothing. is wrong. And I think that is important because while we might speculate and say, oh, you know, if this were really happening, of course this isn't. Bean's right. fault, and we think Bean is wrong, but all the narrative world around this, all the sets narrative it up. world says that if Bean had been allowed to do what he was trying to do, maybe, except that that's not how everybody else. He didn't have any backup on this, essentially. Yeah, and also there's kind of like a narrative inevitability. Bean can't stop this because this already happened in the book published 15 years ago. Well, so no matter what, <laughs> that is true. Also, Bean yeah. is doomed to fail, and also for his efforts to help to be invisible. Because yeah, Ender sees soldiers from other um, from other uh, armies, other armies. Um, piling in the corridor and then the army who was about to jump him kind of melts away. This is before the bathroom scene. Right. But so Ender sees that and doesn't know why it happened. And so narratively, a lot of Bean's arc as it relates to Ender when Bean wasn't in the scene revolves around explaining stuff that just kind of happened. Yeah. And was kind of cool in Ender's game. And then you find out it's not a Forrest Gump situation, but it could have been a Forrest Gump situation because Bean turns out to have been uh, around and involved in several things that around involved and intentionally invisible. Yes. Intentionally invisible because he was trying to avoid Ender, but like narratively, of course he has to avoid him. Otherwise, they can't meet for the first time when Ender remembers the meeting for the first time. Because yeah. Bean is so physically distinctive that he Ender would small. have noticed. He's a small Bean. Yeah. And also, Ender had to meet him at the point where him being that small is remarkable, but not weird. Yeah, which means because- waiting until he's like six-ish. Right. Or five-ish instead of three or four. Yeah. But yeah. So- A quick note, as we are doing on all topics before we get started, we are not recommending that anybody actually buy this series or these books or pay the author any money or even read it for the first time if you have not already. Uh, There is a lot of outdated language that is incredibly harmful that we are a little bit more aware of in the uh, 35 years since this book has been published, since first these books have been published. Uh, and the author also have some very public 
uh, homophobic viewpoints that we do not support. We are talking about this book because, or these two books, because they have a kind of a unique perspective on events where we have two characters who witness the same things and are there at the same time in the same place and remember them differently in ways that do not conflict. And so we are specifically talking about the conflicting narratives and the way that their personal traumas are intersecting. But also, since that's now come out, this isn't a Midnight Sun situation. This isn't like the same events, but from a different perspective. I mean, it this is. is. Well, a couple of them. Well, the, as, books, as book, the books as a whole are the same events mm-hmm. from different perspectives and different context and different framing. There's enough stuff that they feel like wholly separate narratives. Oh, no, they are fully separate narratives, but yeah. they are covering the same events and approximately the same timeline. Yep. And and I our just- our particular topics are convergent the exact same scene. scenes yeah yep i was just thinking of it because midnight sun just came out and i don't is, know midnight sun uh twilight but from edward's perspective oh i had forgotten the name of midnight sun yeah, i have no interest in yeah, reading it's that. literally that and so that's why i wanted to say hey this isn't that i don't this yeah. isn't this isn't that but also we don't recommend reading these if you haven't already no <laughs> so yeah. uh um all right, so our last topic is with genocide, or would you say genocide? Hey, hey, <laughs> sorry. <That's>, um, <laughs> Robin. What? Sorry, genocide is one, of the, one of the sequels to books. Ender's Game, and it yeah. is talking about Ender dealing with the thing that he did here, which yeah. is genocide against an alien species, which also can be called genocide. <clears throat> we uh, uh the duo uh trauma here is a lack of consent a lack of ability yes. to consent to their own actions also mm-hmm. so genocide and lack of the ability to consent yep so, so ender just is not told oh, in yes. case anyone is listening to this and unlike most of our other books uh is not reading these books has never intending to read these books we need to clarify that the scene here at the culmination, major, major ending book pop- plot spoilers. Is, so Ender and Bean are child soldiers being trained in combat and in digital and virtual warfare. And they get to what is supposed to be their final phase of training that is supposedly far more difficult and more stressful and uh, rigorous and trauma-inducing than anything in the quote-unquote real battles to come because it's supposed to make them able to withstand that thing. That's the, the lie that they are told. Then Ender finds out after he gets all the way through it that all of these simulated battles were real and that he was not directing a computer. He was directing real human beings out killing real aliens and that he is responsible for the genocide of this alien race. Bean has figured out that it was real at a certain point before the end, and has to lie to himself to pretend that it is still a game, because otherwise he will phase out, and if he can't go on, very likely everybody else will end up finding out as well, and it will break them too. That is the context for everything we are about to talk about. So. Yep. So Ender 
commits genocide and then finds out in the moment when he has the destroyed the alien planet. Oh all the adults in the room who have who, most of them he doesn't know who have decided to be in the room for what he thinks is his final exam so he thinks yeah he basically just had like a bunch of one star and four star generals like four and five star generals just in the room watching him for his final quote-unquote simulation battle don't add us if five star general isn't a thing we don't know i don't i don't know uniform stars anyway um <laughs> okay uh, these are these are the top brass yes the top brass who happen to all of who are also able to be in the room because they are on the super secret base. Yes. Um, yeah. So they're so basically really important people he's never laid eyes on until this are watching his final exam. And then at the end of his final exam, he finds out it wasn't an exam. And he he has killed a whole planet. He, well, a whole species, multiple planets. He finds out that, it wasn't an exam because he ends the sim the simulation the battle takes off his vr or his tactical headset that he was using to communicate and all of the adults in the room are cheering and crying tears of joy and jumping up and down and immediately somebody grabs him and says ender we did it you won and he's like what Uh what are you talking about and then they just tell him right then and there all of your battles were real. Congratulations, you're a genocidal murderer. We're so proud of you. And he literally- We couldn't tell you until then. We couldn't tell you until now because we knew you wouldn't do it. Yeah, we couldn't tell you until now because we knew that you wouldn't want to keep killing. And right. also, uh, we couldn't tell you until now because we didn't want you to have the option to not consent to doing this. When yeah. Ender is told- he collapses and is in a coma for several days. Yep. And, and then, then wakes up and is not okay. Yeah, he, he is not okay. The So this, so Ender's Game was originally written to be the prequel to explain why in what are now thought of as the sequels, Ender is on this quest to spend the rest of his life traveling through space making amends for this thing he did when he was a kid. Um, like... Because of uh, the amount of time that happens in between, a bunch of it's spent on spaceships and traveling and stuff. Yeah. Learning other things. He's made, the most he could be when this happens is like 12. I I think he's closer to 10. He's not even 12. Like, that's why I said that's the most. Mm -hmm. Because the earliest anyone has ever gone to battle school is 12, but he's going at like. Well, command school is 16. Command school is 16. No, that's what I'm talking. Sorry. Yeah, he skips Uh, command school. So. He skips command school, and also he's leaving early, and it's a whole thing. Yeah, skips pre-command, goes straight to command, and it's like, but no one goes to command school until they're 16. So he's yeah, definitely- pre-command is usually usually 12, and he just goes, and it's, it's a whole... Yeah, it's a whole yeah. thing. So he is 12 or under, probably 10, and... He then spends the rest of his drive trying to make up for that. And that happens in other books. Mm-hmm. You don't need to read those other books either. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but because the whole setup is that he had to, in terms of the narr- the author thinking of it, because this is specifically a prequel to explain what could be so bad that someone would spend the rest of their life trying to do good forever to make up for it. Yeah. Um, the author needed this to 
this monumental, this absolutely devastating to a literal child. So then those books have now been written. We've come back with Bean's story and they have to explain, I think partly because Bean is so smart. I think it's partly Bean's you have to explain intelligence. Like, but I, I well, think it was also, we kind of touched on these in the other two topics. There are things that happen in Ender's original book that are just kind of very convenient or just are kind of things moving around and happening that uh-huh. Ender doesn't know why and isn't fully aware of, but we as an audience have our attention drawn to them as being helpful. And so partly it's to explain Bean as a character, partly it's to explain some of the other people that they have as uh, as sub-commanders at the end. It kind of explains some other names a little bit more in ways that like the original story doesn't tell us enough reason for them to be there, so to speak. Um, but it's also a, hey, all of those behind the scene things that were definitely not the adults, here's your explanation. So it's, you know, it's all of that. Yeah. And because of that, it, it means that Bean is smart enough that it would feel like a plot hole if he didn't figure out that it's real. Well, he's also, I think, set up for it to feel like that because it's not just about how smart he is. Um, he, he is set up as the character that we know fairly well who has seen death and destruction and mm-hmm. canonically has a very good sense for when the adults are lying to him. Right. Uh, he's also the one who sits down and studies tactics and strategy in space in general, whereas Ender just kind of studies the situations that he's in, but Bean right. studies tactics. And so... Military history and just, strategy. Yeah, all of that. And and so Bean figures it out, but Bean doesn't just figure it out on his own. He kind of figures it out as like, okay, well, this doesn't make sense because our tactics for doing this and our, our the things that we've been told in training don't make sense. The adults are lying and here are mm-hmm. the plot holes in our in our strategy and there's no way that me a child is going to figure out that this doesn't make sense and, and no the adults aren't going to know. Right. And so the thing that Bean assumes at first is that he as a child is missing something and he's wrong. That's his actual uh-huh. first assumption. He just is missing yep. something. And then there is an adult who inadvertently kind of gives him the clue that he's not missing anything, which kind of leads him to go, oh, no, this, this is it. Um, and he almost loses it right there in canon. <laughs> um, and then he is, he literally has to tell himself, no, I'm wrong. <laughs> this is fake. It's fine. We can go through this. Um We'll get through training, and then we'll go fight the real battle, and I'll figure out the actual thing I was wrong about. But also, part of how I was thinking of this is that, because, like, you know, I don't know which bit the author decided to do first. Like, we True. don't know yeah, if we don't it know was, certain. Bean is going to figure this out, therefore, what would Bean need to have known, and what experiences would he have in order for him to figure this out? Mm-hmm. Like, we, we don't know the order. Um, right. So... From the perspective of, okay, we've set up this super smart kid. It doesn't, who is just driven to figure out everything because he has to know the way out because if he relatable. knows the way out, then he'll be okay. Yep, very relatable. Um, but because of that, if that's what came first, then of course he wouldn't let this alone until he figured out what was going on. Or it could have <laughs> been, we need to figure this out because 
the the tension and contrast narratively between the kid who doesn't have to make the decision but knows how monumental it is and the kid who is making the decision and has no idea at least not consciously like that's a really interesting narrative thing and so i don't know which one came first but they definitely like feed and loop into each other oh, but then yeah. even then the the distress from Bean figuring this out. Like, he literally has to talk himself out of believing it because if he really internalizes it, he knows he won't be able to go on. He won't be and able so to go on, and himself. also he might not be able to keep from... Telling everyone else. Telling the other kids and sending them also into an emotional and mental collapse. Yeah. And and I, I do like... This is not completely part of the scene but it's kind of in the aftermath when ender is still asleep i think or had just woken up uh bean and graf have a conversation and graf is one of the adults one of the 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 adult the person who is kind of doing all of this to him and graf basically tells him like you know well it's fine that you figured it out it's good the other people didn't and and bean calls him out bean looks at him and says no me knowing was a problem and it happening was a problem and if anybody else had found out this would have collapsed around you and you would have basically he doesn't say these exact words but his message is you would have ruined a whole bunch of people in childhood for no gain like this was not the Mm -hmm. responsible decision you were bad and you should feel bad (laughs) like that's the (laughs) that's that's beans uh paraphrased message to to graph was like no you're wrong (laughs) you're you did Uh this badly and you hurt all of us and it's your fault that ender is like this you did this to him and it was not okay And, and it's it's a it's just a very like i don't know it uh it's 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 a very well written scene, mm-hmm. um, but but with with this with the genocide and the consent, like there's a lot of the circumstances and the fact that he can't talk about them being held over and leveraged on being not explicitly but kind of implicitly, and also also that Bean is told he has this pressure put on him as basically hey. You're the only other person who can track the battles in a way that Ender does. So if we lose Ender for any reason as the commander, you are the second in command. And you also are his second in command in real life, in currently in the moment, in the battle. And so you're the one ma- facilitating the battle and making it happen. And so Bean has this additional pressure put on him of, if you don't do your job, no one else can do theirs. Uh-huh. Bean is the effective very good exo but also the adults are telling ender not to trust bean because the adults need bean to not be overburdened so that he could actually step in but ender doesn't know that yeah it's such a bad it's such a bad the adults in these series are just terrible (laughs) and written terrible on purpose it's so awful it's just like but but for me for me as a kid it fed into my sense of no adults in my life are going to actually take care of me. I had better start doing this. And so that, like, homophobia and ableism aside, like, that was a, a, a strange and damaging message for me as a kid. Because just... You know, weirdly like, they're, enough... They're literally useless. Weirdly enough, uh, it helped me. Because I had come to that conclusion already. And being an ender 
had ways of dealing with it yeah that made sense to me and worked i just bean's narrative gave me a mental health crisis oh yeah that's like, fair bean's yeah. bean's narrative for me helped me get a handle on things that i didn't have a handle on yet like i i actually thought First of all, I didn't understand the barrier between science fiction and reality, and I thought that if it was in this book said by a scientist character, it was true. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so I thought that once I was 25, I wouldn't be good at thinking anymore, and I panicked. I I panicked and was not okay partway through high school because of taking these books too seriously. And that's not necessarily on the books. But there's no counterbalancing message. Yeah. And with all of the everything in that, yeah, I don't recommend these books. <laughs> um, and it's okay to have something have been meaningful, but not be something that you want to advise the next generation to partake in. And for me, that's where these fit. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I, for reasons that I don't really want to go into on the podcast, yeah. am not giving up these books. I'm mm -hmm. not going to give up my copy. I'm going to continue reading them, but I'm also not recommending them to new people. And I don't recommend buying anything else by this author either. Yeah. But I mean, separate from rethinking all this, these didn't make the cut two moves ago. So that's fair. It's an easy decision for me. Hi, I'm Sean Gilbertson. I have never read a book and I've always wondered, are these old classic books any good? I read them out loud for you so we can find out together. Like this time when I read Cinderella. The eldest went into the room where the slipper was and wanted to try it on. And the mother stood by, but her big toe could not go in. Oh, so it was bigger than the whole shoe. And the shoe was altogether much too small for her. Then the mother said, never mind, cut it off. The toe? When you are queen, you will not care about toes. You will not want to go on foot. So the silly girl cut her big toe off. What is this plan? And squeezed the shoe on and went to the king's son. I, it's lateral thinking. I gotta give him credit. Then he took her for his bride and rode away with her. So he was like, whoever this shoe fits, you know, one out of every four women, presumably, I'll marry her. And then he watched her stick her bloody stump foot in here and said, yeah, she probably was wearing this yesterday. God. Find book reports on Apple Podcasts and listen along. Hello, and welcome to our wrap-up. So, quick note, in case anybody skipped our topics and went straight to our wrap-up, uh, we are intentionally not recommending that anybody buy or read the series. We want to discuss it because our two characters for these two books, Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow, uh, experience the same events and have different viewpoints and different memories and different traumas that come and happen and are associated with these events. Uh, and this book is a very good example of a canonical author-intentioned difference in the accounts of both characters. There's not a shared consensus on meaning and um, and, and just event importance and things that they remember. And so we are taking the opportunity to discuss how these two books intersect and how they differ and how they traumas of our two main characters, our two protagonists kind of play into and against each other in these, in three particular scenes. But we do not advocate giving money to Orson Scott Card for any of his books. 
And these particular books, please see our show notes for our book content warnings in general. Um, and just be aware if you, for any reason, either decide to reread or do read these for the first time, that there is some very outdated, harmful language that in the 80s was not as widespreadly talked about um, as uh, and as far as impact goes. And so there's a lot of ableist language. There's a lot of uh, borderline or actively anti-Semitic language. There's a lot of uh, borderline homophobia in this series. Uh, it's worse in his other series, but it's here in this series. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're the main themes. We have these in our, our show note content warnings, but the main themes of these books are murder and PTSD and genocide and child soldiers. And the children are not taken care of. <laughs> nope, I'm just going to say that before we start our ratings and tell you how they're not taken care of. But they're just not. Uh, and with the anti-Semitism, there is a one of there, <laughs> there, there's a bit in Ender's Game where we find out that what is in the real world an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that is not true ends up kind of being true in the background of these books, which was a big yikes rereading that as an adult, knowing that this was a thing, yeah, and then recognizing recognizing it in the text being uh horrified like oh no they they made that canon that's really terrible so on to the wrap-up and ratings with that disclaimer out of the way for the gratuity rating because of the very particular events we've picked so they're at least all on screen (laughs) they're they're all on screen so our first topic that we're going to cover is a scene that has I'm just going to give a tiny bit of context without it being a spoiler, I hope. Well, actually, I guess for this series, we don't really care about spoilers as much. Uh, we're not advocating you read it. Uh, but we want to say that overall, this first topic is PTSD for both characters and abuse perpetrated by one and received by the other. And That's then, our context. Yep. And they have a so some of what led to this, which is very important to this particular moment, is a lot of abuse that was a mix of on-screen and backstory. Okay, yes. Um, but this actual scene, mm-hmm. yes, the actual the actual scene is is very on-screen. Yep. And weirdly, I don't think they have the same. I don't know if they have quite the same rating because I think it might be. I severe. think they're both severe. I was gonna wonder if maybe in Ender's Shadow it's moderate because Bean does not take it to be a serious moment. No, Bean is cognizant of the fact that his life isn't in danger. Mm, But also Ender wasn't trying to kill him. So, okay, I see how that matches. Right. I think it was severe because of the other events that led up to the moment. Mm -hmm. I think it is severe because of both of their backstories. And I think that the fact that Bean comments on his physical reaction not matching the event means that he he and his body were reacting to a severe trauma, even if he is safe in the moment. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So I think it's I think it's severe for both of them. Uh, well, okay. So quick it's question. My argument. Yes. So we have murder and PTSD, and then yes. we also have genocide and consent. Are yes. any of them not severe? No. Okay. <laughs> so this is a long episode. Save us a little bit of time. That's fair. Everything is severe. Everything is everything is severe. Some, I think the bathroom scene, my question there is, does it rise to the level of torture porn? No. Okay. There's a lot of very visceral description. There are a lot of very visceral descriptions, but they are graphic without being glorified. Okay. Not voyeuristic. No, I don't think they're voyeuristic. I think they're, that scene is actually incredibly short comparatively to a lot of the other combat scenes. And I think that was the author's attempt at care, but we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, Integral, irrelevant, or interchangeable. uh, interchangeable. So abuse. So abuse is the fuel that runs this series. This. But this particular scene. Right. I think is actually irrelevant. Oh yeah. This exact moment is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, it's mostly meaningful in being the first conversation alone between the two characters. Yeah, but they could have had so many other things happen <laughs> that didn't have to be traumatic even and have the similar outcome. Like, they, they could have stopped it at the confrontation right before right. this and moved on. And then maybe like, we'd be talking about that one, because that one did things. <laughs> that one would also have made yeah, the list. Yeah, that one did uh, things but yeah, other I, than have this... I, weird i think it's just irrelevant i think it's i I think i understand as from a an audience perspective on this book i understand why it's there but for our purposes from the way that we kind of categorize these things if that scene wasn't there the book would oh nothing's be fine (laughs) nothing would change nothing would be a problem uh moving on to the murder slash ptsd I so I think we diverge a little bit in the two books because it is ex- it is integral no. I think. Oh, I, oh. I think it's I think it's interchangeable in both books. Okay. I was going to say interchangeable for Ender's Shadow, so okay. Um saying a little bit why it's interchangeable in Ender's game is that because it didn't have it literally didn't have to end this way. Uh it literally didn't have to end this way. And there were so we actually kind of talked about this in our um in our 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 segment. There were other ways that this could have played mm-hmm. out. Uh for that oh, yeah, matter. The books are aware of that. Oh yeah, and in the book they're aware of that. And for that matter, Bonzo could have graduated for real and gone on Bonzo was held back until he and Ender had resolved oh, yeah. their conflict. This literally didn't have to happen, but something had to happen because when of do we this find chain. out that he was when do we find out that he was held back? Do we find that out in I Ender's think it's Game or Ender's Shadow? Sh- it's it's I'm trying to remember now because I read both of them in less than twenty four hours. Um it's either in the conversation that Graf has with Dap heading up to the conflict where Dap is basically like, hey, we should protect the child, and Graf is like, nah, uh, I've left him here on purpose, or it's in Ender's shadow because Ender, or because Bean calls out Graf, and Graf goes, oh no, they needed to resolve. 
or no, Dap calls Dap calls out Graf at some point and says, "This boy didn't have to die," and Graf goes. But they did have to fix this conflict because we had to know how Ender would deal with it before we could move him on. Was Dimak in the scene? Because Dimak is only mentioned in Ender's Shadow. I don't remember. Okay. All right. It was either Dap or Dimak. It was one of the two sub-officers. Mostly interchangeable, useless adult figures. <laughs> well, they, they served the same purpose for Graf in the two different books, and I don't remember who the conversation yeah. was with. But Graf does explicitly at some point say, no, this kid did not have to die, but also Ender had to resolve his thing before we could move him on. We can't have him have unresolved bullies in his past. Um, <laughs> that's literally a thing. So I think from a plot perspective, something had to happen and is explicitly stated that they wanted something to happen in the text, but it didn't have to be this trauma uh, for both characters. So. I think it's I think they're both interchangeable. So for genocide and consent. The genocide this is, is integral. Yes, the the genocide is integral. I want to look at whether the <laughs> what lack a of wild cons- phrase that is. Well, the genocide is integral because this book exists to explain to explain the genocide. Yeah. Right. This book exists to explain that this was going to be like a prologue to a a longer book and then there was so much that the author wrote Ender's Game as its own book. Yeah. That's why it's technically a novella. Like, it's on the shorter side. And then Bean is on- um, Ender's Shadow is almost twice as long because by then it was like, okay, we're gonna tell more of this story and these events. Yeah. Uh, I think that the lack of consent is also integral because for both major characters, for both main characters, both protagonists, they're own personal brand of lack of consent is a solid intentionally adult set up or them set up well really adult set up theme throughout both of their respective books i think that canonically bean can never consent to the things that he has to do to protect other people and i think canonically that ender never knowingly commits murder which includes this genocide And that's kind of the point, is that the adults Uh don't tell him the consequences of the things that they make him do, and they never let him know that he's doing this and hurting people. They literally, like, that's the whole point of his arc, is that he is never, ever, ever allowed to know the consequences of his own violence. Yeah. Because once his parents consented for him to be born, he didn't really have a choice about any of the other situations that he was placed in. Yeah. And he was always, 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 always just let to deal with the bullies. And always, 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 uh, the adults knew about it. Were literally monitoring him, knew the entire time, intentionally chose to let him deal with it, and shield him from the knowledge of of the impact of what he's done. Uh, yep. At least as far as, as murder and genocide are concerned. Like, they, they definitely didn't do that for other things, but, like... For these specifically, yes. For these specifically, yeah. So I, I think... You see what I'm saying? Like, I think they are the same <laughs> levels. No, I... Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be the same level for everything. I think I, I didn't know... If, if what was integral to one book might be interchangeable in a different one, that's the only one where I was thinking we might have a difference. Um, for care. Oof. Nope. Was anything treated with care? 
Uh, the author kind of a little bit sort of tried to treat things with care. So, and it didn't is- really do, it didn't really happen, but kind of also a major theme of these books that the, I think this author does just straight up doesn't do a good job of having the audience and the characters experience things with different levels of care. And so characters were not allowed care. So the audience was not allowed care either. And I think it's just yeah. a straight up no down the line. Yep. And even in scenes where we could have had care, they're usually followed up with name with not directly named adults talking about why it definitely needed to go down this way and the trauma is actually fine. Okay, thanks, bye. Yeah, um, like literally. <laughs> over yeah. and over and over. And even events that like, we could have had care because we could have known about them. We have characters that are experiencing that knowledge being along with us. And uh-huh. Bean is so harmed by it that it doesn't come off as care. It comes off as just just trauma for us. Like a lot of Bean's monologues are very detailed breakdowns around why how everything is happening is not okay. Yes. And is terrible. Um, in Ender's Shadow, you have Ender, like, trying to deal with knowing that the things are not okay, but Bean, and, and so then that's where you have Ender's like, hmm, this seems off, and then the adults are like, oh, we're about to mess up this kid's life. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, Stay hold tuned. up, hold up. We haven't hurt you enough yet. <laughs> One I'm sec. Back. We'll be right back with our weaponry. Like, yeah, please uh, hold. And then in, in Ender's Shadow... <laughs> Because it's written second, and so if you read the books in publication order, you'd already know what's coming. Mm -hmm. You have Bean with kind of like the slow realization of like, like uh oh, oh, they're they're just not. This is on purpose. They're just not going to do anything to help us, are they? And so you have a little bit less. It's not gone, but you have a little bit less of the adults saying, "Oh, this is how we're going to mess them up." No, and and instead you have Bean going, "Hey." It was your job to not Uh mess up the kids in your care. You're all awful. Like, we literally have that. And so, like, there's no nothing Uh care-wise for anybody in these these books. Nobody gets anything. Nobody Um, gets any care, ever. No care for you. Point of view is where we're going to have a little bit of a difference. I don't. So, do we? we, we literally get... Bean's point of view and Ender's point of view for oh, the true. bullying scene. Well, but then I, for Fonso, yeah. Bean gets uh, the aftermath and Ender gets the main trauma. Yes, yeah. Bean is affected. Bean also gets the lead up, kind of. Yes. And but so, so does Ender. Ender does. More so than Ender does. Um, but yeah, it's very much a Ender experiences it and then Bean watches it spiral. Yeah. And that's, so then that flips a little bit yeah. with the genocide because- Because Bean, Bean knows an Ender. Yeah. Like, Bean sees the planet and is like, oh, we're about- We're about to, to do this. Uh-oh. We're about to mess up a planet. Also, can I just point out, Ender canonically is in a coma afterward. So literally yes. the, script is, the script is flipped because Bean witnesses as it happens and then Ender wakes up and is there for the aftermath. Yes. So it's literally a, a reversal there. Of the earlier dynamic. Yeah. Yep. Um, aspiring writer tip. 
Um, hey, not all your characters have to agree. Yes, not all your characters have to agree over the same event. Um, and that doesn't mean you're a bad writer, and it doesn't mean that you forgot things. You can do it on purpose, and it can be very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do have a not quite as fun tip that is uh, less driven by the traumas we're talking about and more by some of the stuff we would have delved into, and we probably will in the epilogue. Yeah. Um, if we had not been doing this comparison. Um, it's... <sighs> So this is a thing in Ender's game that it seems like the author realized wasn't cool by the time <laughs> he wrote Ender's Shadow. Don't make a whole bunch of characters be like gimmicky food-based, rhyming, nickname-based, uh, racist and or culturally insensitive stereotypes. And that's most of what we know about them. Um, <laughs> like, there's yeah. Ender's game has a litany of Hello, this person is from this nationality, and they have a cool rhyming name based on making fun of that. Uh, moving on. Next person. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a lot of that. I, I think that also kind of builds into that whole culture of no care for anybody, though. Like, I'm not saying that makes it better, but the uh, I think that just feeds into the author gives nobody care. Like, he but was literally also- just like, oh, this culture of nicknames is bad. One for everybody. <laughs> like, okay, can we not, please? Can we do some yeah, other be- things? Because by the time it's Ender's Shadow, he's definitely learned that maybe he shouldn't do that because we have <laughs> yeah. a character say, hey, you've been doing this. Please don't do that. Yeah. But but it's one character and it's not any of the ones from Ender's Game. We don't get any. Which also might be him not contradicting himself, but it's still not great. This is true. Yeah. It's it's not great. Um. Yeah, and and then there's also the kind of clumsy effort to stop saying a homophobic slur every other page <laughs> by only saying it every yeah. ten pages and yeah. some, and mixing it. They're like, no, 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 they're not. And so, uh, they're not um, this homophobic slur. They're actually called the formix. And all of a sudden, people who were just calling them the other thing the whole time are randomly also calling them the Formix in a way that wasn't in the first book. Yeah. And it's, it, it's a weird correction. It's like, oh, so someone pointed out that homophobia is maybe bad and I should not <laughs> say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a dog whistle for the quiet part, but I'll say that at my normal volume. Cool. Yeah. Going. I mean, if it didn't have that weird history of pivoting from this slur, Formix is actually a really cool name. Like Formaceity. Oh, cool. They yeah. must clearly look kind of like ants. I like that. That's a cool thing. But given what it's pivoting from, it's harder to enjoy that because of all the other stuff. So, do you so TLDR, if you're gonna make racist, sexist, homophobic characters, like don't don't make it everything, please. Call your characters out. Clearly identify this as a problem. Don't just like hand it's wave okay it. to have a character who is racist, sexist, or homophobic, but, but you need yeah. counter narrative that points out that that's not okay. Yeah, you need you need any kind of author awareness communicated to your readers. In canon, please. Not just on Twitter 20 years later. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing that out there. 
Yeah. Uh, Favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? Oh, does it have to be non-traumatic? Ideally, it'll be non-traumatic. What if the traumatic... No, I'm kidding. Uh, We can say cathartic if what you need is to say your favorite cathartic thing. Sure, let's go with that. So my things are definitely not non-traumatic, but they're definitely cathartic. Uh, Being and under both function in different ways very similarly to the way i do and very similarly to the way that i as a child did and they are also placed in not the same situations but very a very similar place where the adults are useless in a way that or actively harmful intentionally actively harmful and these two characters being two very different characters that were both very relatable and both thought about other people the same way that I did as a child, I unironically care about very much. Um, and I think that's my favorite part is that <sighs> these characters are different, but yep. they're, you know, they're, they're relatable. Which I realize is not going to be anybody else's favorite. I hope. I hope nobody else identifies with them for the reasons I do, but still. So, favorite, so cathartic, and then I don't know how non traumatic it'll be. But I don't my think favorite, there's anything non traumatic about these books at all. Yeah. So, so while obviously someone who is a kid isn't going to, while they are a child, know or understand as many things as they will eventually understand as an adult. Mm-hmm. I think this these books do a good job of capturing how, how grown up and capable kids feel, either because they literally are or because they don't yet know the context of their limits. Mm-hmm. What To what degree it is for each person is going to vary and the situation is going to vary. But they these books do a really good job of portraying kids as full people, um, like who care about stuff and have complex inner social relationships that don't really have a ton to do with the adults around them because they're interacting with their peers. Like it, it yeah. captures that. Like it captured how how I felt as a kid who, in different ways, like grew up too fast and. Like, you, I think it captures that just really, really well. And it gets those feel, that feeling. And it makes you feel like, no, people aren't listening to you because they don't think you matter because you're a kid, but you can be super important and save the world. The, the one thing that I then think twists, well, the thing that I think then twists it is that the adults, in this book decided not to do anything to save it themselves and they just relied on the kids to do it and that twist of yes you're strong and powerful and capable and you can do all this really cool stuff that's really really great but it gets paired with and by the way you have to because we're not going to lift a finger and so it like it's sits in this position of being like really cathartic if you're in a space where you are being relied on by the adults in your life who for whatever reason aren't taking care of what you need yeah but it also it also doesn't like if what you need like nicole did um is to hear hey no one's gonna fix it you might need to do this yourself 
that can, maybe it's going to be helpful for you. But like for me, like it was good until it turned sour and it was like, oh no, (laughs) I know there's all these things that I can't do. What if, what if just nothing works anymore? And like looking around at 2020, maybe just nothing works anymore. But, but yeah, yeah, so it like, this book definitely, it treats kids as full real people. And I am so grateful to the much better books than this one that I have read subsequently that we will be recommending that also treat kids as people. But for a book by a white cis het male conservative, I think. Conservative. Well, well, uh, well, loosely Christian. He's not American. Like, he's Mormon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was trying to remember. Yeah. From our perspective, loosely Christian. From a Mormon perspective, what we were as Christian isn't Christian. It's a whole complicated thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, from that position, it is. It stands out among books written by his peers that this takes kids seriously. Mm-hmm. But so many other better books do this better now, and we don't need this one anymore. So maybe the favorite non-traumatic thing about this book is that you don't need to read it, <laughs> and it'll be Aww. okay, which is like, you'll be fine. We'll give you more stuff to read, more recommendations of other like really cool things. Yeah. I mean- if you want to read one that I think, you know, does a better job of both taking kids seriously and still portrays child soldiers, um, get author's name super fast, um, then maybe try War Girls by Tochi Onibuchi. But uh, I have another recommendation for that. I have two more, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, we've also covered Animorphs. Animorphs is also a good yes. one, a good child soldier book that takes kids seriously and deals with PTSD and other things. Uh, and also... 62 books is a lot to commit to, and there is some ableism, but yes. Uh, it Yes. They are also very tiny, if that's a concern. So, so like, that many books, but they're small. <laughs> um, <clears throat> they're bite-sized. Uh, and also, the... Uh oh man. Oh no, I've recommended this before to Robin. It's on our list. It is My brain is telling me the Deathgate cycle, and that's not the one I'm thinking of, because that is definitely a teenage to adult protags. Yeah. War Girls, if you want um a if you want a longer books but fewer of them in the series and animorphs. Oh, fits. Hmm? Sorry. Um why can't I? Assassin's Apprentice. The Farseer trilogy is the one I'm, I'm thinking of. Uh, it's by Robin Hobb. That one also takes kids as people, even at a very, very young age. So there's maybe a couple things. If you want a war book that um, grapples with, the, that actually tackles the horror of war as something other than a problem for other people later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, maybe try those. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. And if you're a patron, <laughs> you can catch the epilogue where we talk about some of the stuff that our particular angle this week meant that we didn't get to. And if you're not a patron, then we'll catch you in a fortnight. 
Thanks for joining us. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at bookstheburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash books that burn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.